Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, we sit down with Donald Smith the general manager of Schlenker Automotive in Rockledge, Florida, and we listened to his absolutely extraordinary story. We also had the privilege of being joined by Mike Williver of the Active Self-Protection Podcast to offer up his analysis. This episode starts off in a very unserious manner, but then gets very serious with life and death implications. Before we get started, don't forget to set this podcast to automatically download the latest episode, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player, and make sure you check out our YouTube channel, where we've been adding a lot of new content. And now, here we go. Y'all know David is bald and he waxes his head, right? So yeah, like, I'm seeing thing. the reflection of this dude's junk on David's forehead. <laughs> <laughs> the only the only saving grace we had was that the video was, I think, maybe like 480p. And so it, it was fuzzy and blurry and we didn't get like full blown high definition uh, dingling. I just imagine imagine David narrating it like the Hindenburg. Oh, and it's out. Oh, the humanity. Put that thing away. I was in shock. I had no idea what was happening. I'm just, I'm just trying to to formulate in my head how does this happen? Who who sits down and says, you know what? I could just walk three feet because I, I think I could see the bathroom in his background. Like right. it was so close. So who thinks, hey, I'm going to put my headphones on, I'm going to walk away, and I'm going to go pee, and I'm going to come back? Who instead says, you know, i got this cup sitting here. Can I put on my Active Self-Protection podcast host hat for a moment, David? Yes. David, post-traumatic stress is a very real thing. (laughs) I want you to know there's no shame in seeking counseling after this traumatic event. I'm I'm telling you, I was was absolutely traumatized. You know, 
And and here's the thing is it, it you know one of the other things I learned on active self protection is that people don't always do what you think they're going to do. No, for, right? no, like, they do not. What you know, I mean, I and I, I think that's probably one of my biggest takeaways from that event is like it was obvious dude had been drinking, right? And and he got to the you, point he, that was he was drunk. That was oh, the yeah. deal. Yeah, he he was slurring his words. He couldn't talk. And and I've no, learned more no, and more. No, no. He was not hammered. We've Wait, I could do this drunk? Hang on, I'll be yes. right back. No, no, we, I <laughs> do, I, we've had people on the podcast that have been gotten, by the end of the podcast, are so hammered, they can't get their words out. <laughs> and I I went back in and I started like cutting out the, uh, and all that stuff, because he was just, he was so hammered. He was trying to make good points, and but the way it was coming out, it was obvious that he was just completely intoxicated. Well, but I just figured, smart. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm traumatized. Lucas was totally cool, cool as a cucumber. And, and the only thing I can think of is he's had enough of those things exposed to him that he's just totally used to it. He doesn't even flinch. He's like, oh, yeah, just another one. Me, on the other hand, oh if it's not God. my own, I don't know <laughs> what to do. Listen, Lucas? it's... It, here's the thing is i get great pleasure from watching david unravel mentally right it happens very (laughs) frequently and seeing the poor dude come apart just all over the place it's terrible it really is but just watching him fall apart like that i I couldn't even pay attention to what else was going on just watching david unravel was was definitely the best part you know like i was saying i i have learned through the automotive industry that and and watching active self-protection videos. Um, People don't do what you think they're going to do, especially when, when they're under the influence of something. I have actually taught my service advisors that do not expect people to do what you think a sane, sensible human being would do because they don't always do that. Right. Some people don't act normal (laughs) if there is such thing as normal. Yeah. Fast forward about 45 minutes from now and you'll hear me like, Hey, Lucas David, do you know what I think about self-defense? <laughs> I think, first of all, Second Amendment, right? Second Amendment is after the First Amendment for a reason. Are, we, are, are you going to get completely hammered and you're going to be like, we need more sensible, common sense gun protection laws in this exactly. country yeah. because it'll keep more people safe. We don't need assault weapons. No, you're weapons gonna hear, of war. You're, you're going to hear of war. You hear me say, remember the one guy show you a penis? Okay, let me show you something. <laughs> who, you know, what? who wants to see my butthole? Anybody want to see my butthole on the camera? <laughs> you know, the best part you. of this <laughs> is that you can tell Mike has had actual law enforcement experience that that he's heard that conversation before, yep. right? Probably, like, probably, yeah. Oh, my God. That is... You you do that far too well. Uh-huh. I just want to point that out. You do that far too well. I come the, from an um, illustrious line of drunks. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's the, in the jeans. One of the uh, local park rangers. Um, you know, I don't know if y'all know this, but the park rangers often come from DOD, right? Um, and and it's all internal. And um, at GSA, their people come from DOD too. That's why they never approve repairs on their car. Yeah. Um, but one of the, uh, one of the most interesting things I've ever had happen is one of the park rangers came in and he said, I was 30 minutes away from ending my shift. And he said, I got a call about a car on fire in the middle of the Blue Ridge Parkway and a man standing next to it naked. And he said, I went and I explained to this man 
that I was 30 minutes away from getting off my shift. Mm -hmm. He was going to call his friend. His friend was going to come get Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. I was going to place him in the back of my car with handcuffs on until his friend got there. I was Mm -hmm. going to send him home with his friend. The fire department was going to put out the fire and we were all going home and everybody was going to be just fine. Yep. And he said, I was facing the fire department. Their eyes got really big. And then they started laughing. He said, as I turn around, my supervisor's back window is being busted out of his crown vic. He couldn't help himself. Right? He said he's running through a field across a barbed wire fence. And he said, obviously, he's in handcuffs. I can't just let him go. He's like, I've got to go get the handcuffs off if nothing else. (laughs) He said, I just want to tell you what a shit day I've had. He said, as I tackled him, he spray shits all over me. And he said, I'm covered. He's covered. He said, I'm mad. He's like, I am really mad. So this is like. 4 p.m. the next day, he's like, I'm still not off work yet. I am yeah. still not off work yet. I don't miss it, boys. I don't miss it. <laughs> I did my the time. shit, man. What the kind of shit. drug was this guy on? I don't Pro- know. Probably PCP. PCP or something like it. You know, I, I my, one of my favorite stories ever is, is I was looking for a, um, a previously deported felon who I was going to put in federal prison for about 72 months. Right. And I got a tip that he was up in Alpine, California, which is a little nice, you know, bedroom community um, east of San Diego up in the mountains. So I get right. the resident deputy who works up there and he and I go to this little homeless encampment where he's supposed to be. And, and we come around the corner and I'm like, hey, there's a bunch of bunch of bums. And I'm like, hey, where's Rodrigo? And there's a point. They point up to a tree. He is hanging from one arm from a branch, buck naked masturbating with his other hand <laughs> and finishes while he's hanging there. That's drops, commitment. Drops down, turns around, puts his hands behind his back. He's like, thanks for letting me finish, boys. All right, where are we going to jail? What are we doing? I'm like, yeah, we're going to jail. Yeah, David, and- it's only going to be a couple of years. That's going to be you, buddy. I poured, I poured bleach into my ear holes and eyes when I got home. <laughs> well, it was probably a lot calmer. 
Uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah uh, you're probably right. Come to think of it, I was, it wasn't like I was going to climb up there and do anything about it. I'm going to wait till he comes down. I, I wanted a taser, him, but I didn't have a taser. Oh man, <laughs> you were going to taser him mid-stroke. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Jerkus interruptus. Just to see what happens. I mean, this is kind of like a science experiment, man. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, we got eight minutes of completely unusable podcast content. No, every bit of that is gold, dude. Every bit of that is gold. You guys need a paywall, and that goes behind it. If you want to hear the story about the time the guy was hanging from a tree and jerking off, uh, please send us your nine ninety five a month. We know a guy. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, So, Don, introduce yourself. I, I I have talked to you a little bit here and there, but I don't know that Mike and David had had a chance to meet you yet. Uh, no, I'm Don Smith. I live here in Florida, uh, East coast near, uh, close to about an hour away from Orlando towards okay. the beach. So beautiful area over here. Uh, I've been running the shop I'm at currently for almost 15 years now. And, uh, that's where the, the incident occurred. So married, get a couple, couple older children. So just. Living my best life so far. Absolutely. Cool. And so tell us a little bit about the shop. What size shop have you got? Uh, it's an old Allied store. It's okay. an eight, eight bay shop. Right. So we have four technicians and I have a, we typically run with two general service techs that take care of our tires and oil changes and that kind of stuff. Right. So and, we, and are you, uh, what, what role do you play in the business? Are you the owner service advisor? How do you, what, what roles do you take there? Um, I run this location. We have a second location in Titusville, which is about 30 minutes north of us. So I run okay. this one and I oversee most of that one. Uh, okay. The owner is still fairly hands-on, uh, but we have a towing business as well. And he pretty much runs that one and leaves the, the shops up to me. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, let, let's break it down. Talk a little bit about what happened. Tell us the story. Uh, Black Friday. This uh, 17. Uh, I usually take lunch late because I let the other guys go and whatever. And I hit the gym down the street. So I had gotten back from the gym. It was was right about four o'clock, maybe about 10 minutes to four. And I was sitting up at the desk and one of my employees busts in the door and says, "Uh, David just got shot. And I I turned around and I'm looking at him and like, what the hell are you talking about? He says, David just got shot. So I'm getting up and I'm like, what the hell's going on? Uh, walk out the front door or the the office door to the shop area. And as I step out the, the bay, you're right into the bays there. And I step out the front of the building and I look over and I see this gym person standing there and I hear two shots and I see him shoot one of my other employees. And it's funny after the two shots, I didn't hear anything else. Um, right. But, but my guy was shot 14 times. Holy cow. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of saw what was happening. I do carry, um, you know, it's one of those things that you, you know, you pray you never have to use it, but it was there. Um, so I started walking over and being an idiot, I realized that I did not have one chambered because I had to take it out while we were camping the previous weekend with some friends. I had to, you know, store the gun. So I stepped back in the shop momentarily to chamber the round. So I was out of view. And then when I stepped back out, I didn't see the guy. 
So as I'm walking across the front of our building, across the four bays, uh, we have a parking lot on the side that goes up. And I was kind of walking straight out. And as I walk up to a vehicle, I don't remember what it was. I've got my gun drawn and he pops up from the other side of the car. And I see his gun. He raises his gun. I fire. Tactically, I wasn't the, the smartest. You know, I, I wasn't ready for it at that time. Um, so then he fires back. We exchange three or four shots over the top of the car. It was like some silly movie. And then, uh, then at this point, I'm, I'm realizing that, you know, this is stupid. I'm waiting to pop up on the other side of the car and take a bullet to the face. Right. So I tried to move more towards the street to give this guy an out so that he could leave. And he started chasing me around the cars. So as I'm, I go around a couple cars and I'm circling back and he's following me. And one of my other employees was armed and he had posted up a little bit more on the side of the building. So I ran across running, headed back into the shop and the guy was following me. And as I'm running around these cars and I'm cutting back through to go back towards the shop, I have to jump over one of my employees who's been shot and is laying there and running past another one that's shot dying in the ditch. Uh, so then the guy pursues me back into the shop. And as he was coming in, I stopped, turned and fired twice. And the last shot hit him in the face and he dropped down to the ground. Oh my gosh. So, uh, oh. My other employee came in and you know, had gun. I kicked, kicked the guy's gun away. Uh, he was motionless on the ground. Uh, my other employee came in with his gun and held you know, his gun on him while we were waiting for the police to show. And I went out and uh, the gentleman who, was, who died right there, his name was Roger. I went out to see if there was anything I could do for him, but he was gone. Uh, and then I moved over to the other gentleman that had gotten shot, David, and uh, me and one of the other employees tried to administer what first aid we could. Uh, he was shot in the in the neck area and then shot in the leg. So we tried to put a tourniquet on his leg and was trying to put, we didn't know exactly where he was shot up top. We could just see blood. So we just did our best to try to keep him still until the police and paramedics came. And uh, then they came in and then it, you know, they took over everything from there. So. How, how long did this exchange take when, you know, if you had to put a time on it, how long did all of this take to happen and go down? The actual shooting part of it, maybe three to five minutes. I mean, it happened. I mean, it seems like much longer and maybe it was longer than I think it was, but it was over pretty quick from the time the first shot was fired to the time it was said and done. Um. I guess my the the next logical question is: Do you know who this person was? Were the, no. was there any? No, unfortunately, there was no connection that we're aware of. Um, you know, there were a lot of theories posted about the reasoning for it. You know, some people say it had to do with the first employee that was shot and a girl that this guy knew, but nobody could ever prove any of that or had any real evidence to it. The state's attorney did their complete investigation into it and they couldn't find any connection from this young man to us. He just literally walked in off the street and walked up to my, my employee, the first guy, David. And, uh, he ate from what I understand, he asked his name and then, uh, he shot him. Wow. And then the other employee, Roger ran out to assist 
you know, I found all this out afterwards. He ran out to a system because that's the kind of guy he was. I mean, he's literally one of those shirt off the back kind of people. And uh, then he had to get in shot multiple times. And you know, so the, the, the first employee passed away. Roger passed away as well. Uh, the first employee survived. Um, he was paralyzed from the, he was quadriplegic basically. Uh, he did end up getting some use of his arms, but, but he never gained full use of his legs. Uh, on a, and unfortunately, he passed away from COVID shortly after, well, literally this year. So we ended up losing both of them. But Roger died on scene. And the, yeah. the, the first employee, the first person that got shot, didn't say like who this person was? Like, no. Like, yeah, we, I know. we talked to him in the hospital, and he says, I, he says, I don't know this guy from Adam. He says, you know, I've never seen him before. I don't know him. And, you know, the gentleman that did the sh- shooting... Um, he's in state hospital right now, so there's never been any kind of trial or anything like that. But as I said, the state's attorneys looked into it and they couldn't find any connection with anybody. Oh, that's oh wild. Gosh. And, and, you know, I think what stands out to me and, and maybe Mike, you can speak to this is three to five minutes, right? Like by the time you pick up the phone to call 911, he's in the office, right? But by the time you pick up the phone to call 911, man, they're not going to be there in three to five minutes. Even if they are, how can they respond to that? You know what I'm saying? They're still trying to figure out what's happening. Don, was this caught on surveillance camera by any chance? Yes. Okay. Have you gone back and looked at it? I did uh, the day or so after it. I have, and I, at my first deposition, I did see part of the video again. They didn't show all the different camera angles, but I just had to walk through them and explain to them what happened and, Right. No, the reason I ask is because it, when you said three to five minutes, I'm, I would be surprised if it, t- if it was that long. I really would. Yeah. Um, I, as I said, it just, you know, it seemed like it was so long. No, the reason I say that is, um, and I don't know how much training you had done with your firearm uh, prior to this, but, you know, generally speaking, when an event like this happens, a couple things come into play. One is the sense of time slowing down. I don't know if you sense mm-hmm. that at all, um, yes. <laughs> where it seems like everything you're doing is taking longer than it should. Uh, where it's taking longer to get the gun out or to pull the trigger. Uh, and that will frequently um, affect your perception of time passing, meaning it will seem like something went on for 10 minutes when it went on for 30 seconds or a minute. Yeah. That may or may not be the case with you. I, I, I don't know. Um, and then you mentioned earlier on, you said that you didn't hear anything after the first two shots. That's, that's almost certainly something called auditory exclusion. And it's just something that the brain does. Uh, frequently people who've been in shootings will will comment later that they weren't wearing any hearing protection, but for some reason they could barely hear their own gun discharging. And that's just something the body does. I don't know if it's to protect, protect you or, or what, but it's a, it's a phenomenon. It's very, very common. And, you know, I, I back to what Lucas was saying, 100%. Uh, John and I like to say on, on the batch cam videos and on the main channel videos, no one's coming to save you unless there is a police officer sitting in the parking lot. And even then that might not be fast enough of a response. The only way that this was going to end was either him killing all the people he wanted to kill and then leaving or you intervening and stopping him from doing what he was doing. And, and um, I commend you for doing what you did because even people with firearms who have experience, even some cops, as we've seen, unfortunately in, in Texas, um, don't have the don't have the wherewithal, the bravery, or the confidence in their own abilities to intervene, and you did that. So, I commend you. That I know that wasn't easy, 
uh, I've been shot at from from a distance. We couldn't see who was shooting at me, unfortunately, so I never returned fire. But uh, that is not a good feeling. And, and the fact that you managed to step in and do what you did, um, I commend you because you almost certainly saved uh, your life and, and the lives of others. And God only knows where that guy was going next. I mean, if he had no connection to your shop and this was just a random act of violence, uh, he got done there. He might decide he likes shooting people and move down to the, you know, the pizza down the street and start doing the same thing. So right. thanks to you, that didn't happen. So uh, yeah. well done. As awful as this incident is, that is a bright spot, believe it or not. You, you managed to stop this guy from doing any more harm to any other people. Right. So, so you said the shooter survived. Was it just a case of he was just a mental case or he's in the state hospital right now. So that's what they're saying. Um, he was in the hospital, the regular hospital for a while. He had, uh, he had gotten shot in the stomach and then in the face. And after that, he went, uh, I'm not exactly sure where he went, but from there they did a, a, a hearing more or less. And they, they determined that he was unfit to stand trial. So this guy had just found a firearm or got himself a firearm and decided, I'm just going to shoot up a place. Apparently they looked at his Facebook and you know, all these other things and they didn't see anything that would have been a trigger for him yeah. to do it. I mean, he had, he, they showed him riding the bus earlier that day. And I, I don't recall if it showed him with a gun or not, but it just kind of showed him riding around. And then, uh, and then for whatever reason decided that this was a thing to do. That is just insane. And, crazy, and yeah. so, so what, what effect has this had on you and the business after the fact, right? Like this has to be really tough. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine losing an employee to natural causes, right? right. What, what effect has this had and, and it walk us through what happened next? Well, what, I mean, one of the, the hardest things for me is, you know, the whole time I'm doing this after I'm exchanging fire with him over the car, um, my brain's kicking in my head that it's my daughter's, it was my daughter's birthday that day. Oh, wow. So I'm just talking to myself the whole time going, you know, you can't die today. You know, today can't be the, the day because it's, you know, it would have ruined my daughter. So the effect on me, we'll still see how that goes. I mean, for quite a while. Um, it obviously bothers me and, you know, preparing to do the podcast now and, you know, thinking about things, you know, I think I got like two hours sleep last night cause it was all rolling around fresh in my head. Right. Um, so I'm still working through all that stuff, but business wise, uh, we're a small community in Rockledge. It's, you know, pretty tight knit and our customers were great. I mean, there were still customers in the building whenever all this was going on. Yeah. We still see them. You know, right. people come in all the time and still ask. So business-wise, you know, we didn't really suffer at all, um, other than obviously the loss of the employees. You know, I mean, that's the greatest impact. Right. But, uh, but, you know, the community supported us through the whole time. You know, so, and we've been doing better since then, obviously. Right. So that, you're, you're exchanging gunshots with, with this guy and it, that's what's going through your head is I, I can't, was it like a, a fight or flight type of response? Did your mind go blank? Like you're ducking underneath the car and you're thinking, I can't die today. I got to go see my daughter. Well, when it first, when I first engaged, it's like my brain just said, okay, there's something going on and you know, this has to stop. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, 
you never know what you're going to do in that situation. And I honestly didn't think all that much about it. I just reacted and, you know, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, but after I had exchanged the shots over, you know, two or three shots over the car, that's when I kind of started sinking in, like, you know, this can't happen today. Um, right. You know, I can't, I can't go out on her birthday. And so I tried to, that's when I moved to try to give the guy an out to see if he would just leave. And then he started chasing me around. If I can just speak to that real quick, Don, that, by the way, that was the right instinct to have. I mean, a lot of people want to get in close and, and, you know, try to kill the guy, try to shoot the guy and the threat. And the fact that you had the presence of mind to say, you know what, maybe this guy wants to skedaddle. Let me give him an out um, is pretty uncommon. Uh, So well done in in, in that regard. And the thing about thinking about your daughter's birthday, I can't tell you how many times I've been in an incident that was a critical incident, or I've talked to people who've been in these sorts of incidents where the funniest things go through their head (laughs) in that moment. It's kind of like when you've had a car accident and the minute after the car comes to rest, you're like, wait a minute, I need to go to the DMV and I'm supposed to pick up some wrench bread on the way home. (laughs) This wasn't part of my day. And a critical incident is not unlike that in a lot of ways. I, I had a guy on my podcast, a Houston police officer who came around the corner uh, on a hot stop and was met with fully automatic gunfire through his windshield. He was not expecting that. Jeez. And we, during the discussion, you know, he had just gotten a sandwich and some chips, I think. And he's like, man, you know, as he's chasing this guy down the street, he's like, man, my sandwich is going to go bad. In the, in the patrol car. <laughs> and it's just, it's just the way it's, I think it's partly the way your brain protects you from, the worst possible outcome, but uh, you know the fact that you thought about your daughter's birthday. Hey, I mean, if that got you through, all all the better. Yeah. I think that's great. Exactly, and and you know, so Mike, when when you hear this story, and you hear these stories all the time, right? That's what I do. What percentage of these are are just random acts of violence? I mean, what when you hear something like this, how many of them are just somebody walking out? I mean, surely it's a small percentage, right? Yeah, I, I was in law enforcement in one form or fashion between being a police explorer in Maryland and being a police officer on the East Coast of the Fed for about 30 years in the aggregate. And these sorts of things are vanishingly rare. It's kind of like the kid being abducted off the street is something every parent worries about, but it really doesn't happen hardly ever. It's very rare. So the idea that someone's going to show up at your place of business and start shooting with no connection to the business, no connection to an employee, no beef, like you know he's mad because you... He thinks you slided him on a car repair or whatever. Those instances are very rare. So this is not a common occurrence at all. So the fact that it happened to you, I mean, that's, you know, it's just one of those things. Uh, I can't think of any of the shows. We've been doing my show for about a year now. And I don't think there was any completely. There was, there was one instance where a guy broke into a house, um, but he was a known quantity, you know, started started shooting at the female occupant. But for the most part, um, it's either a burglar breaking into a house or, or a business. So there's a motive, you know, to, to, to break in and steal stuff or whatever, um, or to rape someone or whatever their motive might be. Uh, so the idea of just a random attack like that is, is really, really rare. Right, right. So how's things changed at the shop? Are, are, is, like, is everybody carrying now? Is everybody trained up? Like, what changes happened at the shop after this? Me and the other employee that was involved, um, we've still carried. He actually kept his AR in his back seat. Um, he had had that in there for a while, but the other employees didn't really have real interest in carrying or anything like that. And you know, luckily our owner is you know he's pro two A, 
you know, he's, he supports it a hundred percent. So he knows I carry, he encourages it. So I still do today, but as far as the shop, I mean, again, most of the employees there now, only a couple of them are still there right? that were through the event. So the other guys don't really know a whole lot about it. And, you know, it's not like on the interview, oh, by the way, this happened, you know? So we're just going to let it, uh, let it go and, you know, hope it never happens again. Right. Don, can, I, can I ask Don a question? Um, you, you, you produced the gun. Were you carrying it on your person or was it in a drawer or in your car? Where was the gun when you, when this all went down initially? On my person. I keep, okay. I carry on me all the time. And I have so many questions. I'm sorry. Podcast host um, instincts kicking in. Okay. Can I ask the caliber of the pistol you were carrying? At that time, it was a Ruger LCP 380. Okay. And where did the round strike the person in the face? Because it makes a big difference if it's below the brow or above the brow or below, you know, the chin. Do, do you do you know exactly where it hit? Below the brow, it hit him in the basically the mouth. Wow. Yeah, it, it's just it's surprising that that didn't uh, that didn't turn the. I mean, it stopped him doing what he's doing, which is what counts. But I'm I'm shocked he he lived through that, even with even with a 380. Um, and then the round in the chamber thing. What before this all happened? Pretend like this hasn't happened yet, and you're Don from prior to the incident, you're walking around with a, with a gun without a round in the chamber. What's your reasoning for that? And there's no wrong answer. Previously we had, uh, we had done camping the previous weekend or so with some friends and where we were camping, you couldn't have the, the firearm. So I had taken the round out of it, emptied it out and we had stashed it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And when I retrieved the weapon, uh, I didn't get the round, the initial round back. So I just had my five in the magazine. Okay, so ordinarily you would have had a round in the chamber. No, yes, I'm, oh. I'm a firm believer in being ready and, you know, but at that time it was just one of those things like, oh, shit, I got to get that, you know, from him and whatever. Right. And I just never thought about doing it until <laughs> until then. Yeah, right. I, for sure. A lot of folks, um, they, they they preach carrying, you know, without a round in the chamber for safety or whatever. Uh, anyone listening who's a concealed carrier, you need to have a round of the chamber at all Absolutely. times. You are, you are not going to have time, as Don can attest. Um, you're going to waste time chambering around in the moment of truth. You need to be ready to go. So if you have a a, a double action only, a, a Glock, you know, with the only safety is a trigger, needs to be around the chamber. You need to practice with that weapon, drawing it and holding it with your high a finger high and index when you're not ready to shoot all that kind of stuff needs to be instinctual but you have to practice it till you can't get it wrong so that uh when the moment comes you're not fiddling around uh putting around in the chamber because that's just time wasted and it's potentially going to get you killed because most gunfights are over in five seven seconds tops so uh, I'm, I'm glad you were able to get that situation recognize it and fix it and, and get after what you had to do yeah but it, the I carry a nine now and uh, yeah, it's, it's always loaded. And, and so where, where were you carrying when this happened? Where, where do you holster your weapon? Uh, I have five eleven pants. Okay. And I have it in the side pocket. Okay. Is where I typically keep it just for moving around the office and shop and everything else. There are times like when I ride the motorcycle to work, I'll wear jeans and I'll, I'll hip carry, but you know, then it, then it imprints if you turn wrong, you know, some people don't like it. I mean, so. Right. Well, and, and that's, that, that was one of the reasons I asked because typically I hip carry if I'm carrying, uh, my, my concealed carry weapon. Right. Mm. And that's one of my frustrations 
is that everything I've got, I'm a bigger guy, right? So not only does it print a little bit, but you know, you're working in a shop. So you're, you're bending over, you're picking things up, you're bumping up against something, your shirt gets pulled up. And we live in a world, you know, we're in a college town. And so some people are really bothered by it, right? And they don't understand. Bothered by firearms. It's shocking. I know, right? Imagine (laughs) that. Um, But, but, you know, some people, I I have seen people just from the print get upset. And, and, you know, that's something that I think about, you know, I've just got a little 365 that I carry every day. I've got a VP9 that, you know, especially in, in winter months, I prefer to daily carry the VP9. It's got a red dot on it. I'm blind as a bat. Right. (laughs) So I really like my red dot. (laughs) Um, and, and typically I will carry the VP nine if I can throw my coat over it or something like that. But I just wonder about, have you noticed that at all? Um, and, and I guess if you're carrying it in your pocket, you know, that kind of answers that question, you know, um, I, you know, Mike, have you seen incidents? I, I have heard people um, and, and they teach this in all the concealed carry classes, right? Like you got to be careful about purse carrying and you got to be careful about pocket carrying because you might not be able to get your firearm out. What, what do you think about that, Mike? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of uh, carrying in a, any kind of a bag. It should be on your person pocket being the least desirable location for your gun. If you're going to carry in your pocket, make sure a, the pocket is sturdy enough that it's not going to rip or break and your gun's not going to go f- falling down your pants. <laughs> right. and, and second of all, make sure you have something in that pocket, some sort of sleeve holster that covers the trigger guard completely. Yes. So you don't accidentally shoot yourself in the femoral artery when you're drawing it, getting it out from the pocket. Not it is suboptimal um, in, in a gunfight. So with that said, uh, a lot of people these days are carrying um, inside the waistband appendix. So depending on what hand you are, so if you're right handed, it's going to be just to the right of your belly button inside the pants. And there's a ton of really good holsters for that. And it really is if you can swing it and if you can afford the uh, holster and everything else that's required for it. It has been proven, I think, to be the quickest possible draw and the most ready access from any position to include sitting in your car with a seatbelt on. Um, if you want to really, you want yeah, if you want to, if you want to play a game sometime, make sure your gun is safe and you're not where people can't see you. Get in your car with your gun on either in your pocket or on your right hip or left hip, whatever the case is, depending on what hand you are. Fasten your seatbelt and then try to clear that garment and get that gun out with any kind of a quickness. And you're going to see that it's going to be a problem. It's going to be an issue. Whereas uh, with the appendix carry, you can, with your offhand, your non-dominant hand, you can clear that garment very quickly and get that gun out in a hurry. Um, and it's the, it's kind of the best all around position to carry for, con- for concealed carriers. The problem for me is I'm fat. So I'm, I'm, really hard I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> yeah, I was getting yeah. ready to have to tell everybody, listen, I'm now, fat. That doesn't work. Now with that, yeah, that said, gun's going to get tucked up under that fat roll. <laughs> yeah. and, it, like, and I'm going to be struggling to get it out. I'm sitting here's, there jiggling my belly going, hold on a second. I'm going to shoot you in the face. Hold on. Right. Here's, Why is here's, the grip all sweaty? Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. I've seen a lot of guys my size and bigger pull this off. My son is six, three, 300 pounds. Um, right. And he... Daily concealed carries uh, a VP9 um, or Glock 17 with a dot. A VP? Jesus. Yeah, with a dot or um, uh, and or excuse me, with a dot and a, a light on it. Uh, it depends. It's the holster. It really makes all the difference in the world. Now, does he have a numb spot where you know where the where the front <laughs> yeah, side? Is? I would say so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah he, yeah. he does. But this kid's enormous. He can wear a t-shirt over it, 
and no one is the wiser. Um, it really is remarkable. So I would I would encourage your listeners who are concealed carriers to look into this and give it a shot. Um, there are some body types where it just doesn't work. Obviously, the skinnier you are, the easier it is to easier it is to conceal. But bigger guys like me can can and and do do it. Um, you know, my, my my boss John Korea is not not exactly rail thin, and he carries every single day uh, left side appendix inside the waistband and can draw that thing. He has a sub second draw. So wow. the time, the time we need, the timer, li- listen, we yeah. need to point out, we need to point out he's had lots of practice with that. I'm just saying, see, po- I'm saying I've it's wa- possible. I've watched videos from when he was big to when he was little to when he got big again. I'm uh-huh. thinking he just didn't gain weight back in the same spot. See, I think well, he moved it somewhere He's got else. a little spot carved out. Is that what <laughs> you're saying? <laughs> I think that was the whole deal. I'm it's positive. All, it's all steak and whiskey. Right, right. Steak yeah. and whiskey. I like steak and whiskey. Damn. We can be friends. Eat, yeah, no, yeah, that's all I eat and drink, man. <laughs> let me, on, let me just add this before, before we move on to another topic. Whatever position you carry your gun in, make sure you practice it until you can't get it wrong. Practice yeah. your draw. Your draw stroke is so important. And probably the most critical thing is whatever platform you're using to draw from, whatever holster, whatever holster system, whatever crazy thing you might have going on, make sure that you can, when you put your hand on that gun, you can get the web of your hand high in the back strap. You can get a full firing grip from the jump. You don't want to be adjusting the gun once it's being drawn right, out. So right. a lot of these hybrid holsters where it's uh, they're great and they're concealable, where you have a leather back and there's a Kydex you know, cut out for the gun, those are great and all. If you find one you can use, great. But make sure your gun comes out in a full firing grip right off the bat. Don't want to be fumbling around with it. Uh, once the gun is out, it's time to go to work probably in a CCW context. So make sure that's a thing that you can do. Right. And, and you know, here's the thing about the, that I've always thought about, because a lot of people worry about uh, appearances and and whatnot. Look, I can take all the time in the world putting it back. Right. right. It's getting it right. out that matters. And I, I've seen so many people that that, you know, and, and that's one of the things when I talk about tucking my shirt that worries me. Right. Because I, I tuck my shirt tight around it. And if you're wearing a long uniform shirt, man, it's not easy to get that uniform shirt up if you're hip carrying. And so like, and, and, and like I said, in the winter months, I carry the VP and I'll just throw my jacket over top of it or put a hoodie on and the hoodies over top of it. And I'll carry it outside the waistband. Right. But even that little 365, man, to get your, to get, reach around, pull your shirt up off of it. It takes some time to get it out and get a good grip on it. And, and, you know, I'm not saying I don't like the 365, but as a bigger guy, the 365 is small, right? It's a little hard to hold. I will, I will say that much. That's what I carry. Is it? Yeah. Are yeah, it's a, a great, guy? it's a great gun. That was my agency's backup gun uh, when I retired. Um, really? Over your, yeah. And I gotta say, if you if you're carrying a strong side hip um, and you're wearing an untucked shirt. Make sure you practice that. It's so important to make sure you can clear that garment. If you can't clear the garment, you're going to be drawing a lot of attention to yourself without a gun in your hand. That's the last thing you want. So sometimes that right. means leaving an extra button unbuttoned at the bottom of that to make sure you can get that garment up and over. And, and every shirt's different. So you make sure you at least practice defeating that cover garment and getting a fire in You don't have to draw the gun every time. Make sure you practice that before you walk out on the street that way. And I can't tell you how many times somebody at church like, hey, Mike, your, uh, your bottom buttons. I'm like, I don't. I want to, I want to address the, the issue of even carrying at the shop. Um, I have one tech who's 
not into guns at all. Everybody else enjoys them, shoots, has a few, whatever. Uh, but I have one in particular who just, he, he says they're, they're they're violent, they're unnecessary, this, that, and the other, this whole thing. And we've seen that from shop owners, right, Lucas? We've seen yeah. shop owners that are, yeah. I wouldn't let uh, one of my technicians carry. It, you know, it's dangerous, this, that, and the other. Either one of you, just talk a little bit about like what you've seen. Is it, are we, just like you are saying earlier, uh, Mike, that it's extremely rare that this would happen. Unprovoked, random person just decides to to come up to your shop and just start shooting at people. Uh, but even like in a situation where you have somebody that's upset, maybe it's drama at home, maybe you did uh, slight a customer or they feel slighted, and now they're coming back for uh, retaliation and, and they're carrying uh, a firearm what do you say to somebody who says, you know, this it's just entirely unnecessary if you treat and and I'm speaking a little bit from from my own mentality in my mind up until just I don't know, maybe it was really covid that spurred me to all of a sudden go out and, and buy a bunch of firearms and I need to figure this out and I need to be prepared and cuz you never know like like you were saying earlier Mike the Civilization devolves very quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and COVID made me realize that I, I need to make sure I'm prepared. So, uh, in my mind, and, and this is this is my uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm gullible. I'm naive about it. I, in my mind, I'm thinking if, if I just if I'm nice, I treat people fairly, I do the right thing. I'm not going to get myself into situations where all of a sudden I got to pull a firearm out to defend myself. If I'm not in the wrong neighborhood, uh, you guys do videos about pulling up to gas stations the wrong way at the wrong time in the wrong neighborhood, you know, and and again, in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm just not going to put myself in those situations. And as long as I don't do that, is it really necessary for me to be carrying a firearm all the time? Well, I'll start by saying this. There are some people that shouldn't carry a firearm and those people I think self-select. I think they know who they are. Um, as far as it, it can't happen here or as long as I'm nice, that is, that is such wishful thinking, man. I wish if only the world were that way, that would be great. Uh, and I wouldn't need a gun if I could just be nice to everyone and go through my life. I, I, I would never have a need to carry it. But the fact is it can happen here, wherever here is for you, it can, and it does happen. You look at, look at Uvalde, a bunch of kids at school. I mean, you know, that no one saw that coming. Uh, look right. at, uh, my, my, pal from uh, Sutherland Springs, uh, Stephen Williford, you know, home on a Sunday morning. He's, he's, an, he's a commercial industrial plumber. He's on call, so he's not at church. And someone starts shooting up a church across the street. Sutherland Springs at the time had a population, something like 600 people. Everybody knew everybody. And people, a lot of people thought it can't happen here. You know who didn't think that? Our hero, Mr. Williford, one of the local officers who had been out uh, raising money to buy tourniquets for all the officers and provide training people that are thinking, okay, well, it can happen. So in the event that it does happen, let's be ready for it. I think that right. the, the role play you can do with, with a, a, a dubious uh, customer or a dubious employee who doesn't like the idea of there being firearms around you say, Hey, uh, Hey Frank, listen, uh, is it possible that a fire could happen here? The place could catch on fire. Well, yeah, of course the place can catch on fire. Okay, so that's why we have fire suppression systems. That's why we have fire extinguishers. 
that's why we, we do the things that we do to prepare for that. And the unlikely event, the odds of a fire at your shop or, relative, or one that gets out of control are very slim, but we are ready yeah. for it anyway. Yeah. Same thing goes for uh, an AED. The odds of someone having a heart attack in my shop are pretty slim, but we still got it. We still have an electronic defibrillator just in case old man Johnson seizes up and screams, I'm coming, Elizabeth, and clutches his chest right. and falls on the floor. And the same thing goes for firearms. We, I, I think there's a lot of things that go into it in a commercial context, like, like an, an automotive shop. You have to make sure that you're, you're following the legal requirements, that your, you know, your insurance company isn't going to drop you if, uh, if, God forbid, you have to use a firearm in a defensive situation. But you also have to weigh that against the possibility that you're going to be the only thing standing in between your employees, your customers, yourself, and uh, an evil person with a gun. Again, is that a, mental, a person has had a mental break and has decided, you're, for some reason, everyone at your shop needs to die. And unfortunately, all the good thoughts in the world and all the being nice people in the world isn't going to prevent that from happening. Is it unlikely? Of course it is. Uh, just as unlikely as uh, a, a massive fire or old man Johnson having a heart attack, but it doesn't yeah, mean we don't prepare points. for these things. We have to look at these things through realistic lens and realize that it can happen. So there, there's no harm from being prepared for it. God willing, the worst case scenario you carry a gun every single day for 30 years and you sell a shop and retire and never need to use it. And hopefully that's what happens. But the, the alternative is unthinkable. You know, and, and I didn't really pick up on this and it, it seems so simple. It seems so obvious, but I didn't really pick up on it until I started watching the active self-protection videos. And we talked about this in the beginning is that when someone, if someone would do something like this, they're not thinking clearly. They're, they're not making rational decisions. They're not thinking like me and you. And, and it's so easy to overlook that. It's so easy to just assume everybody is thinking rationally and everybody's just doing the best they can, right? That's not the case. And, and if somebody would take this action, we don't know what causes them to take that action. We don't know why they would push something that far. But the reality is they do. And when they walk in that shop, they're not thinking about that's a child. They're not thinking about that's somebody's mother. They're not thinking about any of that, right? It is a, I, I don't, almost a primal action in a way, right? And so I just think that so many people miss that. And they miss that, that people can literally do things, I don't want to say without thinking, but they're not thinking like we are. Does that make sense? And 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 it sounds so stupid now that I say that. After I've been watching that, you, you know what I mean? Like you just you don't ever think about it. Yeah, I I, I tell the story a lot, but I, one of my one of my good friends and my training officer with the feds, Mike Mike Haynes, great guy. Uh, I remember walking out of a house and we're looking at abused children that CPS can't do anything for, and just just sadness and and despair. And I walk out front and I'm like, what is going on? Because this is not my experience. This is not my life experience. I had, a, I had a troubled childhood, but it wasn't like that. And when we would clear a scene where somebody shot somebody over something silly, over something stupid, like looking at you the wrong way. And I was scratching my head. And Mike said, he said, you got to check your worldview at the door. They don't think like you think. They don't share your values. They don't share your worldview. And you just can't, you can't concern yourself with why in the moment. When, when Don realized what was happening, it's clear to me that he very rapidly and radically accepted reality. This is happening and I have to do something about it. 
Right. And Don, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was no time to ask what happened to this poor man when he was five in kindergarten or, yeah. you know what I mean? Or, or why is he doing this? Or, or for what reason? I don't understand. There's no time for that. You just have to act. Don, am I, am I wrong? No, not at all. I mean, it was, it was that second or, you know, who knows what was going to happen. See, yeah. I would have frozen and been like, man, I, I don't know why am I, is, is this really happening? Why am I in this situation? Did I do something that I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Can I, can <laughs> the I, fact can that I you acted that? so quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So th- this is so, this is so important. I do love doing this show. I hope you have me back sometime. Um, I, <laughs> You're I, always welcome here. I was actually going to quit and just leave you as the second host. <laughs> All right. Very good. I'm, I'm in. I, I, I can change my own oil. That's about the extent of my car automotive uh, uh, knowledge. Now I was going to say, I think one of the most important things we need to teach, especially our young people is, is Stephanie Widener is our CEO and she is a phenomenal instructor that she teaches a class um, geared towards uh, women, females out in the world and how to, how to, you know, keep your eyes open and pay attention to your surroundings and how to defend yourself and to have that early warning. We as human beings, more so women than men, but that's just wiring. There's nothing to do about it. We as human beings want to rationalize bad things away. We want to pretend like they're not happening. We want to ignore them and hope they go away. Now, when it comes to something, what happened to Don, I suspect he had no such notions. He realized, okay, this is bad. I have to do something. But a lot of people would have, like David said, they would have frozen and gone, wait, why is this happening? We need to teach people to stop doing that. As Stephanie Widener says, we have to radically and very rapidly accept that this is happening. Take a school shooting, for example. I don't have to go too far afield. But if you are a high school student sitting in chemistry class at 930 in the morning uh, and you hear loud bangs outside of the classroom, guess what? That's not. It's not fireworks. No one is setting off right. fireworks in the hallway. No one does that. It's a school shooter. You need to realize that right this second and act accordingly. Either get out of there or find a place to hide or fight back or whatever. And this just goes across all social strata, all these incidents you see where people are dumbfounded. Um, if your listeners get nothing else from this show, uh, realize that the, the moment you sense that the bad thing is happening, it almost certainly is. And the faster you realize that and get used to the idea and do whatever it is you can do to defend yourself or get out of there or protect your employees, the better. So uh, is that something uh, you can train for? Is that something like, that's what I was getting ready to ask. Yeah. It, it, yeah how do watch, we watch active self protection? Yes. No, I, you know, when, when it comes to training for something like that, I think it really is a mindset. Um, I talk a, a lot on my show about mental reps, meaning, uh, if you're, especially if you're a CCW holder and Don, I'm sure you probably do this. Lucas, you probably do too. Absolutely. Where uh, here and there you're, you're parking. Um, it's dark and you're parking at the Piggly Wiggly and you're getting out of your car. You think to yourself, okay, well, what if this happened? What would I do? What if that happened? If this, then if this, then what? And I think those mental reps are as good as anything, uh, to, to prep your mind as much as you possibly can for the inevitability or the possibility, I should say, of, of a critical incident coming your way that you can't avoid, that you can't run away from, that you can't wish away. And, and the, the more you do that, even in your mind, the more you, the more you safely dry fire your gun, the more you go to the range and prepare, uh, the more you do stuff like, you know, watch actor self-protection or any of the other channels that show the reality of these situations unfolding to, to otherwise normal, sane human beings who find themselves in an awful position. That's, that's the best I can, I can offer as far as preparation. Your mindset's your mindset, and you're in control of it. So uh, I think mental reps, watching these videos, getting some training, uh, 
you know, maybe do a ride along with your local law enforcement agency, get out there and see what they're dealing with and pick their brain a little bit. Uh, you know, cops would love to be everywhere at once, but they obviously they can't. Uh, usually our job as law enforcement is to come and, and clean up the mess and make, make a report and hopefully catch the bad guy. As far as prevention goes, you're it. So that, that first step of realizing this is happening and now I need to, I need to pivot and, and adjust my, my mental state and deal with it. That's the very first step. And if you can sort of condition yourself to be in that, that not paranoid hypervigilant, but just pay attention to what's going on around you. You know, it could be, um, in a situation like Don's, uh, and I'm not, I'm not picking on anyone at Don's shop. I'm just saying something like that. It could be this guy was pacing around in the parking lot for 10 minutes, muttering to himself, maybe, or whatever. Pay attention to your surroundings enough to see that maybe that was happening. Go, hey, something's going on here. Now everyone knows there's a weirdo pacing around in the parking lot yeah. rather than it catching you completely off guard. It's a lot of little things, but I think anyone can sort of train their brain to be present and attentive, if that makes any sense. Of course. And, and, you know, I, I think you're right about the videos, right? Watching the videos, because I think it, it wakes you up a little bit yes, because absolutely. you see it happen and you say, holy crap. Like my wife was always against firearms, right? And, and she, she watches active self-protection religiously now. And, and she will tell me like, Hey, I was always against firearms, but now I understand a little bit. Right. Like th these are situations that are completely, I, I mean, it's clear nobody's upstairs. Right. And you just don't ever think that's going to happen to you. But you see these videos of it happening. Right. Somebody busting your front door in, whatever it is. And, and you know, it's kind of like a pre-flight briefing. Right. Like if you're going to take off an airplane, you better hope the pilot knows what he's going to do if something goes terribly wrong. Right. Right. That's the only way you make it back to the ground. You know, if, if an engine goes as we take off, do we stop or do we go? And, and I think that, that human beings, especially in the technical world, right? Like those of us in the, the automotive field, we're very technical in nature. We think through the things that are happening. I just never thought about that as a potential possibility, you know? It just didn't ever cross my mind. Right. It's like uh, my friend from high school used to joke that he's not mechanically inclined at all and that he, would, he, he took his uh, car to the shop and he's like, hey – yeah, Ronnie, it's, it's real sluggish. It's just, it's like, it has no power. I don't know if it's, I put some bad gas in or something. And he's like, uh, Mr. Green, your, your parking brake was on. Oh, <laughs> exactly. E everyone can educate themselves to, to the realities of crime and criminality and mass shootings and all that sort of thing. And I think everyone should, I think everyone should have, uh, at least an exposure to that. So that if God forbid it happens to them or near them, it's not the first time they've considered the possibility. Uh, let me ask you, Don, did you, were you an ass viewer? Were you a self-defense minded person before this happened? And did you feel like that played into your response and your ability to actually do something in the moment and not freeze up? No, I mean, I'm, I'm just more of a gun enthusiast. I enjoy shooting them. I, my father raised me around them. So I've always been around guns. It hasn't bothered me at all. Um, and, you know, I, I was just having a conversation with somebody a few weeks before this happened. They were asking me, you know, why I carry all the time. I said, well, you know, I pray to God I'd never have to use it, but you know, if I, if, if the situation came down to it and things went to shit, you know, hopefully I'll be ready for it. Don, you know, you're coming on my show, right? We told you that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. We, you, yeah, you're definitely to. coming on my show, <laughs> you know, and, and something else that, that stood out to me. Right. And this is something that John talks about a lot and, and in my truck and all around the shop, there's trauma kits right now. 
the one in my truck was because of what John said, but, but in the shop, right. You never know when somebody's going to lob a finger off, yeah, right. We're not right. exactly the brightest creatures. Uh, <laughs> so, but you know, I think back about that a little bit and think of how important it is to have some of those things in the shop or have them on your person or have them somewhere, right? Um, we need trauma kits. We need the ability to uh, make sure that, um, I guess, if nothing else, we can we can help someone once they've been hurt, you know, right? Sh- shameless plug, uh, one of our sponsors is Mount Man Medical. And I had Brian McLaughlin, who's one of their trainers on the show. And, you know, it, it's funny because a trauma kit's very inexpensive and trauma, uh, stop the bleed um, training is really very, very simple. There's not a lot to yeah. it. Anyone can do it. Um, the training could probably be an hour, quite frankly, packing wounds, packing the trunk and, and using a tourniquet, getting it up high, close to the, you know, where the limb meets the, the, the torso. It's very, very simple stuff to do. And, and I feel like we're, we have so many nonsensical things we're teaching kids in high school. Um, oh, I know. That, that, <laughs> that, that aren't going to do them any good in the real world, calculus. And I feel like we could. Why, why are they hold we, our bridges up? What are you talking about? Oh, I hope that guy got taught calculus. I'm, I'm going to cross this bridge. But you David, know what? He was paying attention. Those math nerds class. are going to learn calculus somewhere. They, they love calculus. <laughs> yeah, they, they yeah they're going to figure it out no matter so what. So, why aren't we teaching how to change a spare tire in high school? Why aren't we teaching how to stop the bleed in high school? This is all stuff that is has yeah, real practical real, balance a checkbook or whatever you call it on an app now. This sort of stuff, man. If you just taught CPR, you know, basic CPR, basic first aid, and 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 stop the bleed in high school, just a little bit of instruction would would save so many people on the highways every year. And I like what you said earlier, Lucas, about around the shop. You have a trauma kit, probably not going to be used after a shooting. Almost certainly going to be used after someone, um, you know, the lift fails and someone's yeah. you know foot gets chopped off above the ankle and they're bleeding out and. You know, by the time paramedics get there, he will have bled to death. So you've got to do something. Uh, right. I'm a big, huge proponent of, of personal trauma kits, learning how to use it, having one in your car, having one in your home, and one in your place of business. Um, man, how many people would would uh, either not become brain dead or die every year if most people knew how to use that and had the equipment on hand? God only knows, but it would be a lot of people. Yeah, and and there are YouTube videos. Even if you can't go get actual training, there right. are basic YouTube videos you can go watch. Don, did you guys implement anything like that after this event? Did you add any first aid kits or change anything in regards to that? Not necessarily. I mean, we've we've always had a, a pretty decent first aid kit, uh, but we didn't really change up or add anything after that. Gotcha. gotcha. And here's the thing: like, if you don't have a trauma kit per se. But you know how to how to uh, stop a bleed. You can use anything. You can use a belt if you have to. It's be- it's not as good as a tourniquet, but it'll do. It'll it'll slow the bleed at least. You can use a t-shirt to to pack a wound if you have to. It's not sanitary, but it's better than bleeding out. We'll deal with the infection later. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. We should, we should I'm be come at it with, with some it. brake cleaner. That's all I'm going <laughs> to <Yeah>. do. <laughs> See, listen, I'm going to tell and you. And if it's me, I'm just going to keep screaming. Leave it. Leave it. It's fine. <laughs> so I'm going to tell y'all a little dirty secret. Um, when not your, not your, um, podcast secret, David, um, when <laughs> we started teaching some of the employees wives, uh, basic firearm, uh, etiquette, we, uh, we definitely decided that trauma kits were needed. Oh, and boy. so <laughs> when we realized they didn't have, um, 
a awareness of the fact their finger was on the trigger, right? Yeah. Uh, we decided that we would just start saying, it's okay. We've got a trauma kit. You know, um, we all got better life insurance. It worked out beautifully. Um, I, I don't know what was happening, but you could explain to them, please take your finger off the trigger. Please take, right? Like Keep uh, your booger so, picker off the bang switch. Exactly. So what we started doing is we just put snap caps in there. Okay. Um, they didn't know the difference, which was quite alarming, but you know, it is what it is. Before we go a second further with this sexist talk that's coming out of you, Lucas. <laughs> I'll have I'll have you know that I have I have seen many many lines of law enforcement and law, law enforcement people shooting, and usually there's more men than women. That's just how it shakes out for now. Right. Um, but I got to tell you, man, the number of the number of dudes who are so sure of themselves and think they know what they're doing, and are patently unsafe. I find women to be way more teachable, by the way, when it comes to firearms and men. Oh, that's yeah. just my personal experience. They don't have an ego about it. They just want to learn and be safe. Holy mackerel! Some of the some of the the male agents I even instructed, I had to send them home, you know, for for turning around with a loaded gun and flagging thirty five other people. Right? So, uh, yeah, dude, that is some scary stuff. And and you know, I, I don't uh, I don't know why people do that. It's almost like they don't realize the severity of the offense. Right? It's like they just don't get it. But right. man, that is terrifying. I, that that makes my heart stop when that happens. Yeah, I had a guy with a shotgun that I worked. He was on my group. Uh, great guy. You know, we we would go out and have drinks together. But man, I was instructing, and he had a loaded twelve gauge uh, at a door frame to do an exercise. And at the last minute, he says, "Hey," and he turns and just flags you with that thing. And, oh man! Uh, I, I said words I don't say in church uh, for <laughs> for the next ten minutes. I can believe it. I can believe it. I was so I was lucky after the incident. We had a one of the retired Rockledge police. He had. Uh, taking me over to the sheriff's range out and did some drills with me. And, you know, that was one of the things that he drilled in is, you know, like you were talking before about the repetition and making sure it's going yeah. where you want it to and pointing in the right direction. And was a yeah, good experience. That, yeah, I agree. And that that's huge for me, right? Like that, that training. And so once we really started watching y'all show Mike, that was one of the things we did in the shop is we started training for it, right? Like we started preparing a little bit, not expecting it to happen, just being prepared. Because if, if you've got that muscle memory, right? Like just think about the fact if Don had not had a little bit of muscle memory about his pistol that he kept in his pocket, right? And now he's got a chamber one under high pressure. Dude, That that's, if you don't have that muscle memory, all the things you thought you knew just flew out the window. Right. If you you need some muscle memory and have a plan for what you're going to do and practice it a few times, if you don't, man, just going and buying a pistol and sticking it in your pocket or sticking it in a holster is not going to cut it. Right. Well, like I'll it's not you, cutting the mustard. I'll tell you, it's better than nothing. Right. Yeah. But but sometimes it can be worse than nothing if you're so unprepared and so untrained and so unsafe that it becomes a liability. That's a case yep. too sometimes. But I'll tell you, I'll compare it to this. We have our first beautiful little granddaughter ever. And she lives in our house and I get to watch her every day and I see her doing things now. She's about six months and I see her doing things like looking at an object in space. I'm dangling a toy and she's trying to figure out how far to extend her hand and exactly when to close her fingers, you know, to grasp that thing. That's how we learn everything. And she has to do that a thousand times before she can see a toy dangling in front of her, reach out, grab it without thinking about it. It's something I call unconscious competence. When you start a new 
uh, a new skill, say driving, for example, you were the first time you drove, you were like, okay, how much pressure do I put on the gas pedal? I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to go too slow. And then how, how soon do I turn my indicator on to change lanes or make a turn? And eventually you go from being unaware of what you don't know, uh, right. being unconsciously incompetent to conscious incompetence. Okay, now I know I don't know what I'm doing. To un- to conscious competence, to I know what I'm doing, but I have to think about it, right? Yep. And then hopefully we graduate to unconscious competence. And that's what we want to do with every skill involving a firearm that we have. And anyone can do it. You don't have to spend thousands of dollars on classes to do this stuff. Go on Active Self Protection Extra or any of the other bajillion YouTube channels that are giving sharing really good information on the, the very fundamentals of where do I put my gun to begin with? How do I do my draw stroke? What kind of holster do I want? Do I want a thumb brake? Do I want a retention holster? Et cetera, et cetera. How do I establish my grip in the holster? All these things are things you can practice over and over and over and get to a point where if if you see that stimulus like Don received, okay, there's someone shooting at my employees. I can have that gun out and trained on him and have a round out of the chamber in his direction in under two seconds. That's right. not an unachievable goal. You don't have to be a Zen master to do that. You just have to take the time and effort to practice your draw stroke, to practice uh, indexing high and off the trigger when you're not ready to shoot, to practice your trigger press, intentional, deliberate press, to to practice your either your red dot or your iron sights and getting a good sight picture. And if you do that enough times, that confidence that you are ready for that will pay off so much in the moment when the bad thing is happening. You don't have to think about any of that stuff. You know the condition of your gun. You know it's loaded. You know it's one of the chamber. You know how quickly you can get the gun out. And you know that you can do the thing in the moment rather than slapping it in your pocket and hoping for the best. Uh, hope is not a strategy, as someone once said. And so I just pray that your listeners who are considering um, either are already carrying concealed uh, on the job or whatever, or considering it, will just take the time to educate themselves. And you will feel so much better once you feel confident with that gun rather than just yeah. hoping you'll you'll rise to the occasion. Absolutely. Don, uh, I think he was taking a little dig at you with the whole pocket carry thing. I like Don already. Don, did you know Don's coming to my show? I don't know if he knew that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've already got it lined up. I've already sent him the link, the whole nine yards. I, I you know, I'm hoping that he's been watching active self protection videos. I have you, been. You've been yes. Okay. All right. I yes. just want to make sure because they're awesome. Um, and, and so what did you guys change in the shop after this? What, was there anything that changed? You came to work the next day and you said, Hmm, now what, 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 what was it that the reaction was when you got back to the shop, you went back to work, you know, there's gotta be, it's almost like first day jitters coming back, but did you make any changes? I didn't come back for about a week. I took a week okay. off to, to process and, you know, try to get through things. And I did come back to the shop a couple times during that week just to be around the guys and, you know, let them know I was good and everything was okay. Um, as far as changing, I don't know really what changes we could have made to make it any better. I mean, the gentleman literally walked in right off the street. There wasn't any, right. you know, there wasn't any red flags that went up, you know, why is this guy doing this? What's he doing? You know, he literally walked across he was walking down the center of the main street there and walked into our parking lot. Wow. That's so crazy. as far as personal changes, I mean, you know, now nobody walks through that parking lot that I don't know without me eyeballing and seeing what they're doing and, you know, where they're going and why they're going there. We do get a little bit of foot traffic in the area. So, but you know, people walking directly into the lot, if I see somebody, I'm on them right away to see, you know, 
what are they doing? Where are they going? Right. So definitely pay a lot more attention. That that's crazy, man. I I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, if, if all the other shop owners in the group, uh, if you had one piece of advice for them in regards to this situation, what would it be? Um, like Mike said, just be prepared. Um, you know, David had mentioned, you know, hoping, putting good out there, you know, you'll get, hopefully you get good back, but unfortunately there's bad out there as well. So just yep. be prepared. And if you have employees that are prone to, you know, to have the desire to carry, you know, make sure they're doing it the right way. Like Mike said, you know, make sure they've got training and make sure they know what they're doing because a gun in some person's hands will be just as bad as, you know, the, the bad person coming in, you know, you'll right. cause more problems, but just be open to the idea. Don't shut it down completely because it does happen every day somewhere. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.